0: Check, check, hello, there we go. Okay, good morning everybody. Hello, hello. I'm glad you could be here with us this morning. I hope you are well. Let's get right into it. Uh, I'm really sorry that uh, we're late into letting y'all know about the plans for the summer and getting back together. Uh, Phase two was a bit of of a surprise to us. This week, so I guess we can get haircuts. I guess gatherings can kind of begin. Uh, There's so many questions about what the coronavirus uh, restrictions are, what we're supposed to be doing as as groups of people. We still see an effects of outbreak happen when gatherings do begin. And so we felt that it was best to go where we know uh, we'll have the best chance of not spreading it. And that's to be outdoors together for the time and until uh, things can get more figured out, so uh, we're going to start meeting together the first Sunday in July, July 5th, out in the courtyard here at the church, and uh, we'll be able to worship together, masks will be optional, um, we're beginning discussions about the plan to keep things sanitized here, uh, we're talking to the renters about those things too, and so we're, we need to get things uh, in order before we actually start meeting together. And so I appreciate your guys' patience. I appreciate that you gather here online with me to hear the Word of God and to to be together as we can. We're seeing how the coronavirus will be playing out more, and and now we also have the protests going on, and there's just a lot going on in our world right now. I know uh, I have been overwhelmed with uh, and called the prayer in the midst of all of this, just seeking God's face in, in what we're supposed to do as a church. What is our role as a church as these, events, as these events unfold? What are we supposed to do? And the thing that was put on my heart for this week anyway was that uh, God has given us his church, the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to go and, and help man be reconciled to God, but it's also that we would help be reconcilers between man and man. We are ambassadors Christ making appeal for man be reconciled with God this is a sin issue in our world be reconciled to God and also for man to be reconciled to man and at some point as as this all goes on as this goes further down this path at some point there needs to be dialogue at some point dialogue needs to happen instead of argument and and we as a church can help be the peacemakers to help people listen to each other so that reconciliation can happen, so that healing can begin in our land. If we can listen to each other's story, I think healing can begin. So we need to listen. I've placed this on our Facebook page, this, uh, this quote, and I'm, I'm going to read it here again because I think it's worth repeating. It says this, As we begin to listen to each other's stories, things begin to change. We begin the movement from exclusion to inclusion. We begin the movement from fear to trust, from closedness to openness, from judgment and prejudice to forgiveness and understanding. It is the movement of the heart. Our heart needs to move, right? Our nation needs our world needs a heart change that we believe that can only come from Jesus, amen? So our lives are shaped by story. So it's important that we listen to each other's story. I am influenced by your story and you are influenced by my story. And we are here gathered on this day at this time to listen to God's story. We listen and to what God says and then we observe and see what God does and it shapes us. We get to know him. We're changed by interacting with God's story. We're going to be in Luke 8 chapter uh, chapter 8 verse 22. And these stories are coming out of a section that focuses Uh, On what jesus taught luke has been talking about what jesus said for a while And now we're beginning a section of luke that shows what jesus does And his actions back up his words. They all align right And these are here these stories are here so that we will respond to him in faith that we will conform to his will That's always the trick we want god to conform to our will right But really it's our job To conform to his will. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 22, and we'll go to verse 39. But let's pray before we begin. Jesus, it's clear to me that we need you. We here gathered together now need you. Those out there need you. Our neighbors need you. You are the only one that can bring true healing to our nation, to our people. And so we pray that you open our eyes and you open our mouths so that we would be able to proclaim your good news. Show us who you are this morning and help us to respond and be shaped by your good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So follow along with me, would you? Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. So... They got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He even commands the winds and the water, and they obey him. They sailed to a region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, "'What is your name?' "'Legion,' he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission.' When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. These stories, and this section, this begins a section in Luke where uh, it's a display of Jesus' power and authority. Here we see he has power and authority over nature and, and the spiritual forces of darkness. And later we'll hear stories about how Jesus has power and authority over sickness and even death. And so I'm going to take these two two stories where Jesus calms the sea and delivers the demon-possessed man. We're going to talk to them, talk about them together. The story of the crossing of the sea, or or maybe it's the headline on your Bible is, Jesus calms the storm. And if you're expecting me to go into on how Jesus calms the storms of our lives, uh, I'm sorry, I'm not going to go there with this one. This is not a story to get us to glean some allegorical meaning from it. This is not about us asking Jesus to stop the storm. And I've heard the songs, I've read the children's Bible study stories, but this isn't it. This is not about us asking Jesus to make our storms stop. If you want to be really scripturally accurate about storms, you will find that there are more stories about how God actually sends the storm, or that God is there in the midst of the storm, or that the dark storm is surrounding Him, dies from him. And in this story where Jesus calms the storm uh, is, the focus is not on the storm. This focus is on the questions that follow the calming of the storm. And the questions are, where is your faith? Another the other question is, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And so if we are to find meaning in this story, we need to address the questions that are in the story. But, but let's talk about the story first of all. This is a story about Jesus being on mission with his disciples. They are, they are going to a specific place for a specific person, and these are the events of that journey. In my research, I have found that it takes about two hours if you're sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and that's Luke calls it a lake, but it's, it's the Sea of Galilee. It's very large. And their travel plans had some natural occurrences happen. Some people want to view it as a possible spiritual opposition because of where they were going and who they were going to, But it's not really indicated in that story at all. And actually, I have found in my research that storms like this on the Sea of Galilee are quite common. The Sea of Galilee is situated in a basin surrounded by mountains, and it is particularly susceptible to sudden violent storms. It's near the Mediterranean Sea, and so cool air from the Mediterranean comes through the mountain passes... And it clashes with the hot, humid air that's over the lake. So there's no indication that any spiritual force caused this storm. The landscape, the wind, and the weather naturally caused the storm. Natural life was happening in the midst of their mission. And so as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. He was relaxed. Nice sunny day, maybe, I don't know. Going out for a sail going out for a ride, and then suddenly, as he was sleeping, a squall, a violent wind came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were all in great danger. You think about this, there's 12 or 13 guys at least in this boat. It's not probably not a very big boat, so the edge of the boat is about a foot off the water, so it wouldn't take much for this boat to start to get swamped, and it says in verse 24 the disciples went and woke him up saying, Master, Master, we are going to drown. And so he got up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. He rebuked the wind and the raging waters. All was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. As I've thought about their predicament, the conditions are very real. I really do believe they, they really were in danger. The boat was in danger of sinking. Remember, there's at least three fishermen on board here. They've spent a lot of time on water, probably this water, and they know what's happening. And in their minds, the boat was sinking, and they were going to drown. There was urgency, alarm in their voice. Master, master, this was really happening. They were not making this up. And so it's hard for me to find fault in their fear. I think all of us would be afraid that this boat was going down. And and so I don't I don't know where I can find fault even in their faith. It's not like they woke them up at the first gust of wind. But I do see a contrast in how Jesus views their situation and how they view their situation. Where is your faith? He says. I've thought about this question a lot this week, and I've wondered, is, is his question a rebuke? Like, you don't have faith where you should right now. And if that's the case, what, what does that look like? How does that change their reaction to the situation they are in? Or was his question getting them to take inventory of their faith in the midst of their fear? Yeah, they're all afraid, but where's your faith? Check where your faith is at now. Or was his question like a statement? Like he's saying, What do you have to be afraid of? You're with me now. Or what's the worst thing that could happen to you guys? We'd go for a really long swim, or we would have death by drowning. And in Jesus' eyes, is that okay? They had genuine fear and concern for their lives, and it was met by a genuine Savior. I also want to ponder what he actually did, the reality of the miracle. Let's stop and think for a second about what this story is describing because it's important. A violent windstorm suddenly comes upon you and your boat. You're just going out for a sail, sailboat ride, and all of a sudden you're on this three-hour tour, a three-hour tour, and there's no island to, to land on. There's no place to get to. I'll let you finish the song. The professor and Marianne. The windiest place I know of around here, I just wanted to compare it to something. The windiest place I know of around here is either the gorge or like Lincoln City. And I know probably most of us have been at both places. If you've been in Lincoln City during a winter storm, you know how powerful it is. You know how tiny you feel when you're out in the midst of it. It makes you feel very small and very weak. And can you imagine being in a group of people in the midst of a storm, one of the worst storms maybe that you've been in, and to have one in your group just speak up to the wind, talk directly to the wind, and, the, and, and then say, Stop, and it does, and it makes everything calm immediately. How would you react How would that make you feel? Wouldn't you be in awe? Wouldn't you be fearful? Who is this guy? Who can do that? When Jesus commands the storm to stop, and then it does, that really says something about who he is. That's some real power and authority right there. And I personally picture Jesus doing this and turning around and almost with a wink saying, hey, where's your faith? Do you know who I am yet? Do you realize who you're in the boat with? What do you have to be afraid of? And, and it bolsters the disciples' faith in their master because the fact was they didn't realize yet who he really was. And he was beginning to show them In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And so the storm subsided, and all was calm. And they continued their boat ride. All was calm, at least until they reached the other side of the lake. You know, I think, personally, as I've looked at these stories, I think Jesus knew why he was crying. I think he knew who would be waiting for him on the other side. And I kind of think that's why he was taking a nap. Because the guy that would meet him on the other side at the water's edge was going to be a handful, to say the least. And this whole experience was not going to be pleasant once they got there. Let's read verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee, where Jesus commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demons into solitary places. Boy, when we talk about Jesus enters the mess with us, we weren't fooling. This guy was a mess, and Jesus doesn't avoid it. He goes to it. Right? When was the last time you ran into a naked man with super strength yelling at you at the top of his lungs? And probably in a weird, creepy voice too. Was the last time you ran into somebody like that? This is the guy you hope doesn't get invited to the party. This is the guy that ruins everybody's day when you run into this guy. And the thing I marvel at the thing I was taken back by the most this week, that in our eyes, we see this guy as being too far gone. He's a lost cause. Leave him alone. Shove him out of the, out of the community. Get him, out. Get him out of earshot. We are tired of this person. But in Jesus' eyes, he still sees one of his children in need of healing. Lord, give us your eyes to see. This poor man needs a savior, clearly, and the savior of the world has just crossed the lake to pay him a visit. As we read through this, as I read through this interaction between Jesus and the demons in this man, let's pay attention to what the demons say, what what they know about Christ, okay? We know that the that they know who he is, that he is Jesus, the son of the most high God. And they actually believe that. But let's continue on. Jesus asks them his name. What is your name? He says in verse 30, and the reply is legion, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. And a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them. And he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs. The herd rushed down into the steep bank, into the lake, and were drowned. So the demons know who Jesus is. He is the son of the Most High. They actually believe that. The demons also recognize that Jesus has power and authority over them. And they must do what he says. And as they talk to God in that interaction, they ask for alternatives. Don't have us do this over here, let us do that instead over there. Their theology about Jesus is spot on. Yet despite of their belief about him, they don't serve him. They seek to take from and destroy the lives of those made in God's image. These demons do not value people. They do not nurture and care for the creation. I just want us to pause and think for a minute, reflect on how their theology and our theology line up. Our beliefs line up, but our prayers and our practices and our values, they're supposed to be different, right? And as I've read through this and I've realized the similarities, it, it, it scares me a little bit. It, it makes me stop and think, how is it supposed to be then? So let's now pay attention to how the people react to the work of Christ. Verse 34, when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported what happened. And they reported this to the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid right and those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured then all the people of the region of the garrisons asked jesus to leave because they were overcome with fear and so he got on the boat and left Remember, last week I was explaining how the light of Christ, it delivers us. For those who want to come near to the light, it delivers us. But it, but it also does something else. It also, his light exposes the darkness that is around us and in us. You know, clearly there was no way this man could be humanly helped. There was no, uh, there was no way to even restrain this man. He would break the chains. Nothing could be done humanly. For this man. But, and, and yet, when he was rescued, their reaction to his rescuing is, is disturbing. It reveals things to us about people. It's almost as if the people are fine with this man being possessed or bound as long as he's out of their way. As long as he's out of their life, out of their comfort, as long as he's out of the town, they're fine with where he's at. They don't want to deal with it. They can't deal with it. And it's as if they'd rather have their herd of pigs than to see this man be rescued. How irreverent, if that's the case. Now think about how God looks at each one of us. He looks at each one of us with delight, all of us fearfully and wonderfully made in his image by him. And what were they afraid of? They asked him to leave because of fear. They were overcome by fear. What were they afraid of? Were they asking themselves, what will Jesus take away from us next? Or, or what are we going to lose out on next or miss out on if Jesus stays around? What is he going to require of us now? As a church, we want to see Jesus working in our midst, right? It might have a great personal cost. Are we willing to pay it? Are we willing to rejoice as these people could have and should have rejoiced that this man was delivered at great cost to them. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Even though the town, even though the region asked Jesus to go, They rejected him. No one could deny what happened in this man's life. And this man didn't just narrate the story to them, I'm sure. I'm sure he preached. I'm sure he proclaimed with passion the good news of what Jesus did for him. And his story isn't just about how Jesus cleaned him up. You know, included in this story is how when no one else saw value in me, When everyone else gave up on me, when all was lost, Jesus came into my life. And instead of rebuking me or restraining me, instead of running away from me, he came toward me. When everyone else looked upon me with disgust, he looked upon me with compassion. And he rescued me. And he gave me life. He gave me new life because he loves me. Father, forgive us for not seeing people the way you see people. Forgive us for not valuing others the way you do. Forgive us for pushing people away because we're uncomfortable with their pain. Help us to value people the way you do. Equip us to deal with tough circumstances. Help us to love our neighbor. Amen. So these stories say something about God. I want to wrap it up by, by thinking about what do these stories actually say about God? And I know that I'm not going to include everything they say about God, but these are the ones that came to my mind. And, and, and I want us to think about the implications of it for us. Both of these stories reveal that God has definitive power and authority over nature and the spiritual realm. I am encouraged today to remember who I'm in the boat with that no matter what happens, there is nothing to fear. No matter what force of nature, no matter, or spirit of darkness comes against us, there's nothing to fear. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand, right? These stories also display that uh, God values human beings very much. We all know that. But you can't deny the fact that he does seem to go out of his way on a regular basis in the Gospels for those who are poor, the outcast, the marginalized. The thing I kept asking myself this week was, did Jesus cross the sea just for this guy? And Yes, I kind of think he did. And I think that's very compassionate of him. I think Jesus heard stories about this man. This man was legendary. This poor man, he's naked, he's crazy, he's isolated. Jesus went to this guy. And you know what Jesus did? He restored this man's relationship with his community. He was outcast. He was marginalized. And Jesus comes in, heals him, and brings him back into community with his people. He reconciled them. He reconciled that man to God, and he reconciled that man to his community. I also see that God is willing to spend a lot of our resources to rescue just one person. And so I'm asking myself, am I going to celebrate with him when he rescues? Will we join or will we withdraw? Will we say, we don't want you over here, Jesus? And I also see that Jesus is still compassionate toward those who reject him or who are afraid of him and his work. At the end of this story, even though the people reject Christ, he still compassionately sends the man who was delivered back to them to share the good news about what Jesus had done for him. He sent his messenger to bear witness to what he had done, to reconcile his community to God. So we see these things about God These are God's stories that shape our lives. If God is this way, then then it is our chance to conform to his image, to to transform our minds, to transform our thinking, to become more like God's. If God feels this way about human beings, then we need to. If God is willing to reach just one in this way, then, then we need to realize that he values people that way. He's willing to spend a lot for just one. What a demonstration of the gospel. What a demonstration of the cross. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you for your grace. Thank you for demonstrating to us the love you have by sending your Son to show us the light. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And thank you for your story. Cause it to transform us from the inside out, Lord. Amen. Well, I leave you today with this benediction from Romans 15. It says this. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go be the church. Ready, set, break.